Chapter 5 of The Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Frozen Pirate by William Clark Russell. Chapter 5 I Sight a White Coast. Four days did I pass in that little open boat. The first day was fine till sunset. It then blew fresh from the northwest, and I was obliged to keep the boat before the wind. The next day was dark and turbulent, with heavy falls of snow and a high swell from the north, and the wind a small gale. On the third day the sun shone, and it was a fair day, but horribly cold and I saw two icebergs like clouds upon the far western sea-line. There followed a cruel night of clouded skies, sleet and snow, and a very troubled sea. And then broke the fourth day, as softly brilliant as an English May day, but cold, great God, how cold! Thus might I epitomise this passage, and I do so to spare you the weariness of a relation of uneventful suffering. In those four days I mainly ran before the wind, and in this way drove many leagues south, though whenever a chance offered I hauled my sheet for the east. I know not, I am sure, how the boat lived. I might pretend it was due to my clever management. I do not say I had no share in my own preservation, but to God belongs all the praise. In the blackness of the first night the sea boiled all about me, the boat leapt into hollows in which the sails slapped the mast. One look behind me at the high dark curl of the oncoming surge had so affrighted me that I never durst turn my head again lest the sight should deprive me of the nerve to hold the oar with which I steered. I sat as squarely as the task of steering would suffer, trusting that if a sea should tumble over the stern, my back would serve as a breakwater and saved the boat from being swamped. The whole sail was on her, and I could not help myself, for it would have been certain death to quit the steering oar for an instant. It was this that saved me, perhaps, for the boat blew along with such prodigious speed, running to the height of a sea as though she meant to dart from that eminence into the air, that the slope of each following surge swung like a pendulum under her, and though her sail was becalmed in the trough, her momentum was so great that she was speeding up the acclivity and catching the whole weight of the wind afresh before there was time for her to lose way. I was nearly dead with cold and misery when the morning came, but the sparkling sun and the blue sky cheered me, and as wind and sea fell with the soaring of the orb, I was enabled to flatten aft the sheet and let the boat steer herself while I beat my arms about for warmth, and broke my fast. When I look back, I wonder that I should have taken any pains to live. That it is possible for the human mind, at any period of its existence, to be absolutely hopeless, I do not believe. But I can very honestly say, that when I gazed round upon the enormous sea I was in, and considered the size of my boat, the quantity of my provisions, and my distance, even if I was heading that way, from the nearest point of land, 
I was not sensible of the faintest stirring of hope, and viewed myself as a dead man. No bird came near me. Once I spied the back of a great black fish about a quarter of a mile off. The wetness of it caught the sunshine, and reflected it like a mirror of polished steel, and the flash was so brilliant it might have passed for a bed of white fire floating on the blue heavings but nothing more that was living did I meet, and such was the vastness of the sea over which my little keel glided, in the midst of which I sat abandoned by the angels, that for utter loneliness I might have been the very last of the human race. When the third night came down with sullen blasts, sweeping into a steady storming of wind that swung a strong melancholy howl through the gloom, it found me so weak with cold watching and anxiety, and the want of space wherein to rid my limbs of the painful cramp which weighted them with an insupportable leaden sensation, that I had barely power to control the boat with the oar. I pined for sleep. One hour of slumber would, I felt, give me new life, but I durst not close my eyes. The boat was sweeping through the dark and seething seas, and her course had to be that of an arrow, or she would capsize and be smothered in a breath. Maybe I fell something delirious, for I had many strange and frightful fancies. Indeed, I doubt not it was the spirit of madness, that is certainly tonical when small, which furnished strength enough to my arm to steer with. It was like the action of a powerful cordial in my blood, and the very horrors it fed my brain with were an animation to my physical qualities. The gale became a voice. It cried out my name, and every shout of it passed my ear had the sound of the word, Despair! I witnessed the forms of huge phantoms flying over the boat. I watched the beating of their giant wings of shadow, and heard the thunder of their laughter as they fled ahead leaving scores of like monstrous shapes to follow. There was a faint lightning of phosphor in the creaming heads of the ebon surges, and my sick imagination twisted that pallid complexion into the dim reflection of the lamps of illuminated pavilions at the bottom of the sea. Mystic palaces of green marble, radiant cities in the measureless kingdoms of the ocean gods. I had a fancy of roofs of pearl below, turrets of milk-white coral, pavements of rainbow luster, like to the shootings and dartings of the hues of shells inclined and trembled to the sun. I thought I could behold the movements of shapes as indeterminable as the forms which swarm in dreams, human brows crowned with gold, the cold round emerald eyes of fish, the creamy breasts of women, large outlines slowly floating upwards, making a deeper blackness upon the blackness like the dye of the electric storm upon the velvet bosom of midnight. Often would I shrink from side to side, starting from a fancied apparition, leaping into terrible being out of some hurling block of liquid obscurity. Once a light shone upon the masthead. At any other time, I should have known this to be a St. Elmo's fire, a corpusant, the ignis fatuus of the deep, and hailed it with a seaman's faith 
in its promise of gentle weather. But to my distempered fancy, it was a lanthorn hung up by a spirit hand. I traced the dusky curve of an arm and observed the busy twitching of visionary fingers by the rays of the ghostly light. The outline of a large face of a bland and sorrowful expression, pallid as any foam flake whirling past, came into the sphere of those graveyard rays. I shrieked and shut my eyes, and when I looked again, the light was gone. Long before daybreak, I was exhausted. Mercifully, the wind was scant. The stars shone very gloriously. On high sparkled the cross of the southern world. A benign influence seemed to steal into me out of its silver shining. The craze fell from me, and I wept. Shortly afterwards, worn out by three days and nights of suffering, I fell into a deep sleep, and when I awoke, my eyes opened right upon the blinding sun. This was the morning of the fourth day. I was without a watch. By the height of the sun, I reckoned the hour to be ten. I threw a languid glance at the compass and found the boat's head pointing northwest. She fell off and came to, being without governance, and was scarcely sailing, therefore. The wind was west, a very light breeze, just enough to put a bright twinkling into the long, smooth folds of the wide and weighty swell that was rolling up from the northeast. I tried to stand, but was so benumbed that many minutes passed before I had the use of my legs. Brightly as the sun shone, there was no more warmth in his light than you find in a moonbeam on a frosty night, and the bite in the air was like the pang of ice itself pressed against the cheek. My right hand suffered most. I had fallen asleep clasping the loom of the steering oar, and when I awoke, my fingers still gripped it, so that, on withdrawing them, they remained curved like talons, and I believed I had lost their use, and even reckoned they would snap off, and so set up a mortification, till by much diligent rubbing I grew sensible of a small glow which, increasing, ended in rendering the joints supple. I stood up to take a view of the horizon, and the first sight that met my eye forced a cry from me. Extending the whole length of the southwest seaboard lay what I took to be a line of white coast, melting at either extremity into the blue, airy distance. Even at the low elevation of the boat, my eye seemed to measure thirty miles of it. It was not white as chalk is. There was something of a crystalline complexion upon the face of its solidity. It was too far off to enable me to remark its outline. Yet on straining my sight, the atmosphere being it very exquisitely clear, I thought I could distinguish the projections of peaks, of rounded slopes, and aerial angularities in places which, in the refractive lens of the air, looked, with their hue of glassy azure, like the loom of high land behind the coastal line. The notion that it was ice came into my head after the first prospect of it, and then I returned to my earlier belief that it was land. Methought if it were ice, it must be the borderland of the Antarctic Circle, the limits of the unfrozen ocean, 
for it was incredible that so mighty a body could signify less than the capes and terraces of a continent of ice glazing the circumference of the pole for leagues and leagues but then i also knew that though first the brig and then my boat had been for days steadily blown south i was still to the north of the south shetland parallels and many degrees therefore removed from the polar barrier hence i concluded that what i saw was land and that the peculiar crystal shining of it was caused by the snow that covered it but what land some large islands that had been missed by the explorers and left uncharted i put a picture of the map of this part of the world before my mind's eye and fell to an earnest consideration of it but could recollect of no land hereabouts unless indeed we had been wildly wrong in our reckoning aboard the brig and i in the boat had been driven four or five times the distance i had calculated things not to be entertained yet even as a mere break in the frightful and enduring continuity of the sea-line even as something that was not sea nor sky nor the cold silent and mocking illusion of clouds it took a character of blessedness in my eyes my gaze hung upon it joyously and my heart swelled with a new impulse of life in my breast it would be strange i thought if on approaching it something to promise me deliverance from this dreadful situation did not offer itself some whaler or trader at anchor signs of habitation and of the presence of men nay even a single hut to serve as a refuge from the pitiless cold the stormy waters the black lonely delirious watches of the night till help should heave into view with the white canvas of a ship i put the boat's head before the wind and steered with one hand whilst i got some breakfast with the other i thanked god for the brightness of the day and for the sight of that strange white line of land that went in glimmering blobs of faintness to the trembling horizon where the southern end of it died out the swell rose full and brimming ahead rolling in sapphire hills out of the northeast as i have said whence i inferred that that extremity of the land did not extend very much farther than i could see it otherwise there could not have been so much weight of water as i found in the heaving the breeze blew lightly and was the weaker for my running before it but the little line of froth that slipped past either side of the boat gave me to know that the speed would not be less than four miles in the hour and as i reckoned the land to be but a few leagues distant i calculated upon being ashore some little while before sundown in this way two hours passed by this time the features of the coast were tolerably distinct yet i was puzzled there was a peculiar sheen all about the irregular skyline a kind of pearly whitening as it were of the heavens beyond like to the effect produced by the rising of a very delicate soft mist melting from a mountain's brow into the air this dismayed me still i cried to myself it must be land all that whiteness is snow and the luminous tinge above it is the reflection of the glaring sunshine thrown upwards from the dazzle it cannot be ice tis too mighty a barrier 
surely no single iceberg ever reached to the prodigious proportions of that coast. And it cannot be an assemblage of bergs, for there is no break. It is leagues of solid conformation. Oh, yes, it is land, sure enough, some island whose tops and seaboard are covered with snow. But what of that? It may be populated all the same. Are the northern kingdoms of Europe bare of life because of the winter rigours? And then, thought to myself, if that island have natives, I would rather encounter them as the savages of an ice-bound country than as the inhabitants of a land of sunshine and spices and radiant vegetations. For it is the denizens of the most gloriously fair ocean seats in the world who are man-eaters, not the Patagonian, giant though he be, nor the blubber-fed anatomies of the ice-climes. Thus I sought to reassure and comfort myself. Meanwhile, my boat sailed quietly along, running up and down the smooth and foamless hills of water very buoyantly, and the sun slided into the northwest sky and darted a reddening beam upon the coast towards which I steered. End of chapter 5